so many people, we think everybody grew up like you and I did, um, right. that we may, we may not have come from, uh, you know, a Christian home or whatever, but we probably were at least marginally biblically literate. In other words, we knew that there was a group of people called Christians, even if we weren't one, there was a group of people called Christians that thought the Bible was the word of God. We knew about there was a person named Jesus and he died on a cross. That's not always true anymore uh, because the world has come to every city like Sydney, uh, even like little Fredericton. And so you can't assume all those things. Teaching is the solution to that because uh, you're not just yelling Pentecostal cliches at them and expecting a response. You're laying out the word of God and it's got resident power that it will convict, it will transform. Welcome everyone. Today we are so very blessed to be joined by Raymond Woodward. He is the teaching pastor and bishop of Capital Community Church in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Brother Woodward is also the executive presbyter of the UPCI in Canada and has traveled around the world ministering the gospel. Personally, his ministry has had a tremendous impact on my life, and it was an absolute privilege to have him on the podcast. We had a great conversation about his life and ministry. He shared his advice for young leaders. We talked about the importance of teaching the Word of God. He gave some pointers on studying Scripture. I asked for his take on the current situation in Israel in regards to prophecy and much more. This has to be one of my favorite conversations so far on the podcast. I know it will be a blessing to you, so I really want to encourage you to share this with a friend or someone else in ministry so it will bless them too. Brother Woodward is a wealth of knowledge and information, and we're so blessed to have him on the podcast. You may be listening but not following. Following us is the best way to stay connected and to not miss an episode. Just select follow wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, we want to encourage you to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It really does help get the podcast out to more people who can be blessed by it. Now, let's get to the conversation. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today, Brother Woodward. It's my honor and privilege to be here, Pastor Greg. Uh, thank you kindly for that. Uh, so grateful to have you on, and um, I've, I'm a bit nervous about this conversation. Typically, I, I'm, I'm quite good, but uh, <laughs> I think the, the only one that maybe rivals this one as far as me goes is um, I had one with uh, Brother Hoffman, Brother Harold Hoffman. Oh, wow. Uh, but those... Those nerves were more in line with uh, him having to deal with the technology. I know from from your oh, side, you're okay. completely good with tech, so I no concern there. But so grateful you know for I'm your time. I'm not sure I tonight. would say that. I'm 61, so I, I feel like a dinosaur about half the time. But <laughs> but anyway, Brother Hoffman, I'd be nervous of what he would say. He's got a a very <laughs> witty sense of humor and a, an incredible intellect. I'd be nervous about what he would say. <laughs> Yeah, it was great having one. And again, thank you for your time. Uh, I like to start out these conversations by giving uh, the guests an opportunity to share a little bit about their background, just so those who may not know you, I know the vast majority of my listeners would know you or know of you, um, but just so they know a little bit more about you, your background, that sort of thing. Thank you. Sure thing. 
Well, um, I, I like to start here. My background in the apostolic church doesn't start with me. It starts two generations before me. My great uncle, a man named Leonard Parent, received the baptism of the Holy Ghost on December the 28th, 1920. And that totally changed the trajectory of our family. Um, he uh, received the baptism of the Holy Ghost in uh, New Brunswick, Canada, where I live. But then he went to the state of Michigan in the United States, started a church there, which still exists. Um, he was my father's uncle. Every fall in the fall of the year, he would return from Michigan to visit uh, my grandmother, who was his sister. And in my dad's immediate family, nobody was interested in what his crazy Uncle Leonard had to say about the Bible, except for my father. And they would sit at the farmhouse kitchen table by the hour. And my great uncle Leonard Parent would teach the Bible to my father. Um, when I came along and I was born in 1962, uh, my parents were basically new converts. They were uh, married, you know, a little over a year, um, but they had just really got grounded in the church. And it was all because of my dad's uncle. My dad was never a pastor. Um, he uh, was an incredibly loyal saint in a church, always served his pastors, and in fact, served most of the churches we were part of. There's about three or four during my growing up years. And uh, dad always gravitated toward being the church's secretary treasurer because he was very good with funds and finance and money and, and whatever. But his career, he was a high school principal. He was a teacher all of his life. Uh, my sister has her education degree and actually still uh, is a department head at the high school where my father uh, was principaled most of his career. My daughter has her education degree. I was headed for university to get my education degree. And it wasn't because it was expected. It's just because it's kind of in the blood. Um, so my dad, um, he was never a pastor, uh, just a wonderful, wonderful saint of God. And uh, he passed away in 2020. I, I miss him. Uh, but uh, I followed in his footsteps in uh, in many ways. Uh, he impacted me with a love for teaching. Um, I, I literally came to a point um, where uh, just out of high school, I had planned to go to university. I had scholarships to do that. I was going to get my education degree and I was going to become a public school teacher. And um, I would have been very happy. I think I would have been decent at it as far as a career. Um, but I just had this deep dissatisfaction in my spirit about, um, just not feeling that was right. And so I remember, I don't remember the date. I didn't keep a journal back then. I do now. Uh, but I don't remember the date, but I remember the very intense conversation with God. And I literally said, okay, I'll give up teaching for you. And I was not happy, uh, but I was submitted. I just wasn't happy. And um, so I was in your part of the world a few years back. Uh, it's been at least, you know, I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago. I was either in Australia or the Philippines or somewhere in, in the Pacific part of the world mm -hmm. and maybe Singapore. I can't remember, but I was in a hotel room all by myself. And in the way that he does, the Lord spoke to me and said, um, so you gave up teaching for me, did you? And um, it just flooded over my spirit and my memory. Um, 
Pastor Greg, I've had the privilege of teaching the word of God in so many different nations and continents and regions of the world. And so, no, I don't teach English or math, but I have the privilege, the unmistakable privilege of teaching the word of God. And so that has been uh, a passion for me and uh, all of my life and uh, not without a little bit of uh, tension, perhaps, because uh, I, I often say it with a smile. Um, I, I think I said it when I was in Australia recently to the folks in one of the day sessions uh, where I grew up, if they said about a minister, he's a teacher. What they <laughs> meant was he's a really dreadfully boring preacher. And um, so I always kind of resented that because I don't feel like that at all. Uh, I, I just love to teach the word of God. And so that that's my background. Um, you know, I was I was interested in teaching growing up. I'm not a I'm not a sports guy. Uh, I'm, I, I love the outdoors, but not like I'm not an outdoorsman. Um, you know, I do a couple of little things to get out in nature, but anymore, I'm just not home enough to do them. I love to, <laughs> to bicycle and I love to kayak and, 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 and I've got all of that stuff, but to get to it, um, you know, I have lots of time in the, in the month of December when there's like five feet of snow here. <laughs> it doesn't really work well. Um, but I'm, I'm very content. I love, uh, being part of the work of God around the world. So that's kind of, you know, where I come from. But again, I would say very strongly that, uh, my, my, my mom and dad were a huge influence in my life because they served not only the Lord, but they served their church so mm -hmm. faithfully. And then all the way back before I was ever thought of, before my mom and dad were married, uh, my great uncle, uh, he made a departure from the expectations of his family. Uh, they were in a certain denomination and he, he, he left that and stood for truth. And I'm forever grateful. Hmm. And am I right that you have a bit of background in music as well, right? Didn't you? I do. Uh, yeah, when, when, um, when I first started in ministry, I, uh, so I graduated from high school, um, see if I can remember dates being this old, <laughs> elderly and decrepit. Uh, I graduated from high school in 1980, went to Bible school, graduated there is a three-year theology program, graduated from there in 1983. Somewhere along in my teenage years, I learned somewhat how to play the, the piano, um, uh, I remember going to a youth camp one year and I knew one song and we sang that song <laughs> like every night at the altar service and they let me play it. It was awful. Um, but I, I, uh, as soon as I graduated from the Bible school, it's here in Fredericton. I went back the next year. Uh, they wouldn't let me teach theology then I was a kid. Uh, but they let me teach music, lead the choir. Uh, I was a keyboard player and they gave me, uh, English and etiquette, I think, were the two courses. Etiquette. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Etiquette, I don't even remember what we did. It's just like a blur. Uh, English, I used to teach English using like Bible stories. So I got to preach a little bit in the class. It was, <laughs> you know, a, a subterfuge. Um, but uh, I, I was there at the school for about seven years part time, then three years full time. Um, and, uh, you know, during all that background, I'm working in a church and I was a music director. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we had a great music team back then. It was me, Abraham, Noah, Moses. <laughs> it's been a long time ago. Um, but yeah, I started there and probably did that for, oh goodness, the first half 
of my ministry. Uh, roughly, my life is cut up in um, three segments. Uh, the first 20 years of ministry, I was an assistant pastor, associate pastor uh, in two different churches, one of them being the church that uh, I'm, I'm at now. Um, I was there, then left for about eight years, came back. I was at the Bible school for a short stint, uh, then became lead pastor of Capital Community Church here in Fredericton, New Brunswick in Canada. And uh, then we did a transition to Pastor Jack Lehman. He's now our lead pastor. That's been about two and a half years ago. So that's the new phase. And for mm -hmm. the last two phases, including when I was a pastor, um, it just grew. It wasn't intentional. We didn't try to plan it. It just kind of unfolded uh, traveling and teaching and, mm -hmm. and, and whatever. So in reality, Jack's been our lead pastor for about two and a half years, but really he's probably been looking after the church for the last decade uh, in all the hands-on day-to-day, you know, yeah, every week yeah. stuff. And so, you know, and now um, I, once in a while I touch a keyboard, but always just privately and personally, I can't play any of the new stuff. I watch your wife and like, she's amazing. <laughs> and they play all the new stuff. And I'm thinking, that doesn't sound like any chord I ever knew or could create. So uh, music's ancient history for me. Uh, I just wanted to uh, get, uh, get that context to the listeners just so um, they don't pigeonhole you as only a pastor, only, you know, the Raymond Woodward who comes and teaches the Bible and that sort of thing. Um, just to lead into this, this next question, because um, I wanted to get your advice for someone who, is at the beginning stages of their ministry, you know, whatever they feel called to, what would be your advice for someone who, who is at that, at that stage? That's a great question. And I do get asked that every once in a while. <clears throat> um, I, I like to say that, you know, if you're, oh, let's say 15 years older than a particular person, you're an expert. If you're more than 500 miles from home, you're an expert. So you can ask <laughs> these questions, you know. Um, but but really, I, I think I, I do, you know, over a lifetime, um, you know, four decades in ministry of one kind or another, all in pastoral ministry of some kind, um, you, you do kind of formulate, well, I wish I had done this or I, I'm really glad I did that. Um, if I was to kind of hit both ends of that question, I would say, um, let's start with the positive. Uh, something I think really is important is, and I didn't, I didn't always do this well. I came right out of Bible school. I headed into ministry. Um, that first church I was, uh, full-time. It was CCC here. It wasn't called CCC then. I was an assistant pastor. I was at the church and part-time at the Bible school. That was a good season. Um, the next church was a wonderful church in St. John, New Brunswick. It's about an hour and a half from here, same province of Canada. Um, but just the financial impact of that, uh, uh, every decision I've ever made in ministry always tended to, the salary always tended to trend downward. And so <laughs> I remember in St. John at one point for a good part of that eight years, I was working three jobs, the church, uh, I taught all day, uh, Monday to Friday at either the community college or a computer college. And then uh, just to make ends meet, uh, Beverly was home with the children. Uh, I was, uh, I'm trying to remember what they called us. We were some kind of representative, but really what we were was a night 
uh, shift watchman over the YMCA, and uh, I worked the front You're desk. Doing and it really, I, it was security registration. We had a hostel. We had all kinds of hostel crazy people that came in. <laughs> it was really kind of trying to keep them from destroying the place in some ways. Uh, so that was a very intense time, actually. And so I'm I'm not just rambling. I'm coming to your question. I would say that uh, one of the things that I I would really strongly urge all young ministry potential kind of people is work on you and work on your personal relationship with God, because right out of the gate, you can become so very intensely busy in the tasks of ministry, especially if you're in the second chair or the third chair, you're an assistant, you're doing task oriented things. This is wonderful. It's how the New Testament is structured. This is what Acts 6 is about. Let's get some younger men that can take these menial tasks away from the apostles, the spiritual leadership, so that they can have time to get with God and get in prayer and get vision for the church. So it's, it's, it's structured biblically, but you can get, especially if you're like me and you're type A driven, task oriented, you can get so devoted to busy things. Uh, and if I had it to do over again, uh, I would, I worked hard, um, but it was just a, a very time consuming time in my life. So many different things, uh, different jobs, uh, and so many tasks. I would really urge young leaders, uh, work on your personal commitments, your personal relationship with God, because those years, they pass so quickly. And when I look back, uh, the times that I spent uh, in study, uh, the times that I spent in the word, uh, even though it was harder to do then, it wasn't my sole responsibility then. Um, It's so valuable, uh, that kind of thing. And then I would come around to your question a different way, because sometimes uh, we can make mistakes by uh, getting ahead of God or getting out of alignment with God. Um, getting ahead of God is a very common one. Um, sometimes young leaders get destination disease is what I call it. Uh, when I get there, if I get that role, when I'm full time, when I have a paycheck from a church, when they give me a title, a position, a church office, a church key, then I've arrived and I can do something for God. That's just destination disease. Uh, and I always tried to bloom where I was planted. The other mm. thing I would say is from my first job in ministry, um, I got fired. Um, not many people know that. You just raised your eyebrows. I gotcha. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the reasons for that behind the scenes that no one knew at the time were that uh, the senior pastor and I and him and the staff, I, they were on sort of on one side. I was on the other side. He was going a different direction doctrinally, and it ended up in uh, a church split. It ended up in him leaving uh, the apostolic movement altogether. Um, so he fired me, and I I look back at that time, and it shattered me. It was my first job in ministry, and uh, it, it just seemed so cruel. And you know, here I've given up university and I've embarked on this thing for God and first job. And a few years later, uh, literally I get called into the pastor's office and this isn't working and you're done. And I could have got bitter. 
Um, I, I could have been so distraught and destroyed that I just threw up my hands. But the other thing that could have happened to me, uh, it was a doctrinal difference. I remember distinctly for about a year after I got fired, when I would hear a preacher preach on the grace of God, because just like the Nicolaitans in the first century, at the end of the first century, uh, this doctrinal diversion was abusing the grace of God. We can live any way we want. We're saved by grace, blah, blah, blah. And so for about a solid year, if I would hear a preacher preach on the grace of God, I would be arguing with him in my mind. And I knew it wasn't right. Um, I, I knew that I was out of balance. And thank God, I just kind of stayed plugged in until that year passed and I came back to balance. Because, you know, sometimes when people hurt us or when they go one direction, the pendulum tendency is, well, we're going to go the other direction and we're going to become really harsh and hardline and whatever. Well, that doesn't solve anything. Now you've got two people out of balance. But here's the the, the big lesson for me from that season is um, I never lifted my hand or my voice against him. In fact, I never talked about this. Only my parents knew about the situation. I had people in that church. We were still living here. Uh, in fact, because I went from there to the Bible college, we were still attending that church where I had worked. And wow. uh, every week, Pastor Greg, people would come, why did you leave us? We love you here. We want you here. Why, why did you just pick up and leave? And I never said a word. I never said I got fired. He's because I could see things that the saints couldn't see yet. Mm. Fast forward many years later. I mean, you're talking that's 30 years ago, probably, uh, or even more. Um, time has proven that I was going the correct direction and he was going a different direction. Time has proven that, uh, for lack of a better term, I'm right. He's wrong. You know, if you want to say it that way, but I would have been wrong if I had lifted up my hand against him. I never could have come back to that church as senior pastor because those people would have seen me as someone who attacked their pastor. And so I would say to young leaders, um, uh, kind of from the negative side of things. So we talked about, you know, do your personal disciplines and dig in there. That's so important. But on the other side, when bad things happen, and sometimes they do, when you feel like a leader's against you or a leader's uh, putting you in a box or he won't let you progress or he's a hindrance to the furtherance of your ministry, it's the word that everybody loves to hate. Just submit. Uh, don't get out of alignment with God. Uh, there could come a situation where somebody has to leave because of doctrine or whatever, but don't, don't take it upon yourself as a young leader. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to rise up because all you do is you damage yourself. Uh, you damage yourself in the eyes of the church. You damage yourself in your relationship with God because now you've taken it upon yourself. There's a reason the scripture says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. And, and although there are other things that I think I did right, I've told young leaders for years now, um, that's probably the best decision I ever made as a young leader, that I didn't lift my hand against a leader that was over me that I knew was wrong. 
uh, and, and the closest thing I can come to in scripture is David and Saul. Uh, David knew Saul was wrong. Saul didn't have an altar. Saul didn't care that the Ark of the Covenant had fallen into the hands of the Philistines for so many, uh, so much of, of his reign in the early years. And when the Ark did come back, he just left it on the fringes of, of Israel. David's king for five minutes and it's like, we got to go get the Ark. Mm. Um, but David never lifted his hand against Saul. And sometimes God's, God allows Saul's in your life uh, it's to grow you. So uh, number one, dig in personally. That's the positive side. Your personal disciplines uh, in the word and in prayer, um, in, in every way that you can serve God personally. But on the flip side of that, don't get out of alignment by uh, getting ahead of God, trying to fix things, trying to raise up and I'm going to take this in hand. Uh, learn to trust God. And uh, my goodness, I'm a testimony that years later, um, I'm, I'm now the teaching pastor and the bishop of that church. That would never mm. have happened if as a 20-something-year-old kid, I just strutted my stuff and I'm going to fix this and I'm going to raise up and become the loyal opposition to this guy. Mm. It would never have happened. So I just kind of bided my time and trusted God. And that's so important. That happens to a lot of young leaders. Uh, tremendous advice, and you've kind of led us into uh, our next area that we want to have a look at. Um, you, you've been, you've gone at links to describe yourself as the teaching pastor of CCC instead of the bishop, um, though I think everyone just calls you bishop anyway. <laughs> but, they pretty much do, uh, yeah. Yeah, you're the lead pastor there for, how many years did you say? it was 20 years as lead pastor. Lead pastor, yeah. And then as assistant pastor, a little bit upwards of eight years, and now mm -hmm. as bishop for two and a half. So I, I've spent about half of my life, a little over half of my life in service to this one congregation, which is a wonderful thing. It's, what, it's sort of such a blessing. That's amazing. And uh, your Wednesday night teachings, they're, they're a bit, become a bit legendary, especially with uh, YouTube and your church uh, being involved in, in getting that out, which your church was sort of at the forefront of that. I'm not sure how much you had to do with that, but um, Nothing. your team, yeah, your team did an amazing job and, and have for a number of years. That was much to do with my son, Matt. Uh, Pastor Jack actually started the ball rolling years ago. Um, you know, we have missionary friends, New Brunswick, the province of New Brunswick, and even the city of Fredericton. Uh, there are a lot of missionaries in the apostolic mm. movement from here. Uh, you know, if you, if you took a hundred mile radius around Fredericton, uh, I, I couldn't tell you what percentage of the, uh, United Pentecostal church, uh, our missionaries come from that hundred miles or whatever. Wow. It's, it's amazing. It's, it really is. So, um, and, and there's probably spiritual reasons like our elders were very devoted missions minded people. And every once in a while we have a little chuckle over and there's probably some physical reasons like we have real winter here. Uh, and so maybe Everyone they want to leave. leave. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're called. Uh, but, but in, in all seriousness, so many missionaries. And so, uh, Jack years ago said, we've got all these missionaries connected to our church all over the world. They want to connect with us. They want to hook up with us. Um, they want to be part of the church, you know, seeing our services. So we're going to do a webcast. And my initial response as the visionary that I am was <laughs> absolutely not. Um, we will look People like a bunch of home. snake handlers <laughs> from the mountains of West Virginia or something. Uh, so no, absolutely not. Um, and, um, 
he said, no, pastor, I think we need to do it. So when we started our webcast, thank God these things don't exist anymore. Uh, it was three, uh, you would know this, um, Radio Shack, uh, the old mm -hmm. electronic yeah. store that's now defunct and, and gone the way of the dodo bird. Uh, we had three Radio Shack consumer grade, tiny little camcorders, and they were hooked to a manual switch box with tape running all over the floor of the sanctuary and wires. When you change from one camera to the other by pushing those buttons, it looked like the rapture, an earthquake, <laughs> and a bomb hit the church all at the same time. <laughs> Everything shook. It was awful, and I hated every minute of it. But Jack got us started, and then my son, Matt, when he kind of came of age and he did some video work at community college, uh, some kind of course. And, uh, and so he, he knew his stuff and he kind of got us started. And so, you know, over time it's grown into what it is today. And it really is kind of a neat thing. You know, I, I don't think I've been to a country in the world where a bunch of people don't come up and say, uh, oh, we watch your services. We watch CCC. Oh, yeah. And it, mm -hmm. so, so that's rewarding. And, uh, and I'm passionate about getting the, the word out. Uh, so, you know, uh, you just have to come to grips with it. I don't think we're knocking <laughs> the ball out of the park with any great quality or whatever, but the word is the word and it's got power in it. So that's valuable. Yeah. Well, I, I think your quality is very good, uh, especially um, over the last few years, you, your, your son and, and the team continues to upgrade it. I think you guys did your church an entire podcast episode about that live stream. If people want to check that out. I'll, I think they did. I'll, yeah. I'll link that through if, if people want to listen to that one. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I love your, your guys's online ministry. Thank and, you. um, if I ever get the chance to visit there, I'll know pretty much the whole sanctuary That's by awesome. the time I get there. <laughs> I will, I will say you will notice if you put that in the show notes or whatever, uh, you'll notice that I was not on that episode. They didn't no, ask you me because <laughs> I don't know anything about it. <laughs> well, uh, through that, through that, uh, online platform and YouTube in particular, um, your teaching series are, are viewed all over the world. And, um, uh, you know, it might be something that you've got for CCC, but this is being, uh, sent out around the world. Can you explain why, uh, teaching is so important? I know you, and, and I wanted to say this because I feel like you've broken the mold. Um, as you said at the beginning, it used to be that if, uh, if you were called a teacher, that just meant you couldn't preach. And I feel like you've broken the, the mold in the apostolic movement where it's like, if someone calls you that, that's, that's not a negative thing anymore. That just means that you're no, really digging into the Word of God. Yep. I, um, year, years ago, uh, you know, I started doing some of this traveling. The, the first travel I did, um, in fact, the first overseas trip I ever took was uh, something they call the Centennial Crusades in the Philippines. That was 2001. I was still an assistant pastor. Um, it was just a few months before. That was January of 2001. And I became lead pastor in June of 2001. So that was my first overseas trip. It was just a few months before I became a lead pastor. And then uh, some point after that, I got invited to serve on the Global Missions Board of the UPCI here in North America. And so just over time, uh, the travel started with um, missions kinds of things, mm. but also with, you know, going to different churches and whatever. And I knew something had shifted maybe, I don't know, 15 years ago, uh, maybe less than that, 
when I started to get these calls um, and it would be from people that would say, you know, I'm a pastor, but I've got a little bit of an evangelistic gift or, or a passion. And so we do that well, but we need a teaching revival here. And that started to happen over and over and over. And I thought, hmm, something has shifted in the apostolic movement. Um, and, uh, you know, right now I'm, I have the privilege of serving on a, a committee uh, chaired by uh, Stan Gleason, uh, the fivefold ministry uh, committee. And it's, it's not because we think nobody's in fivefold ministry. It's because we think they are. And we want to properly... Uh, recognize, utilize, uh, you know, those, those kinds of ministries in the apostolic movement. And that's something that I hear from them as well, the other brethren on the committee that, you know, we're doing better with these kinds of things uh, now. Uh, you, you mentioned something a moment ago. Um, I am constitutionally through our bylaws, I'm the bishop of the church. Uh, here in Fredericton. That means that uh, there's several responsibilities there. One is I'm the guardian of apostolic doctrine. That's actually written in our governing documents that uh, we don't make changes to our doctrine or our lifestyle convictions without the feedback of an elder who served the church. So that's a healthy thing, not because it's me, but because that's ongoing. Um, so, so I serve in that role However, in New Brunswick, Canada, 51% of our province is French Roman Catholic. So the word bishop means something very different to yeah. those people than it does in the southern United States where everybody's a bishop in the apostolic <laughs> movement. So, so if you go to our website, you won't see anything about bishop. You'll see Raymond Woodward teaching pastor. And I like that for two reasons. One is because it's outwardly facing to the public. They understand what that is. But the other reason that I really love it is because, uh, to again, to our city, it makes it look like I'm on Jack's team, not that mm -hmm. I'm Jack's supervisor. And I really like that. I, I think that's important. So uh, to kind of, kind of come back around, um, teaching is in my blood. It's in my DNA. It's in my lineage. Uh, it's it's in my wheelhouse. And, and if I've got any giftings, uh, pastoring is actually not one of them. Pastoring is shepherding people and caring for people. And I had that role for 20 years, but my goodness, I needed other people to help me with that because that's yeah. not a natural thing for me. Teaching is, is my natural sweet spot. And I love to study the word. I love to see the lights come on in people's eyes. And I do love to share the word. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, our precious, um, uh, Filipino people are all over the world. They seem to pop up everywhere I am, Africa, everywhere, you know, North America, Asia, South America, everywhere they're there. And it's really a, a neat privilege uh, because a lot of our uh, wonderful Filipino sisters, they tend to work as maids. I meet so many hundreds of them. And, uh, and I, they'll come up to me and they'll say, Oh, pastor, pastor, uh, I listen to you in my headphones while I am cleaning the toilet, you know, uh, and, and that's really a neat little privilege, uh, to feel like, uh, something that we do here could be a blessing to somebody in different places in the world. Mm. And so I am passionate about teaching because to me, preaching is the anointed declaration of truth. Preaching brings us to a decision. Teaching comes at it from the opposite side of the coin. Teaching is the anointed explanation of truth. Mm. 
And so I think one of the reasons that teaching was just, it felt a little off for years in the apostolic movement is because teaching comes at things a little more methodical, uh, a little, um, a, a little slower, perhaps more, mm. um, more deliberate. And so sometimes people, if they're just used to this constant diet of a very loud kind of hypey speech, um, and, and there's place for that. I'm not criticizing that, but if that's their total diet, then sometimes they think, well, this isn't anointed. He's not yelling. Um, I'm not even getting wet. I'm in the front row. I'm not even getting wet. And, and so this can't be anointed. It's not loud. Uh, it's not boisterous. It's not excitable. But here's, here's my take on that. I have so much confidence in the word of God, Pastor Greg, that I know somewhere, if I can just make the word clear, all by itself. It's going to blow up. Revelation will happen. Uh, there, there'll be fruit from that message, from that teaching, because the word of God has resident power. And in trying to help our young preachers here, and maybe a young preacher that's listening to your podcast, um, I've said to them, you know what, guys, uh, it's good to get excited, but make sure you know where you're going to land. Because, um, you know, young preachers, sometimes they tend to start at a thousand miles an hour. They're, they're coming off a, a really fast, loud, boisterous choir song, praise team song. And man, they take the pulpit and they're awesome for about five minutes. And then they run out of gas and they stumble because they don't know where they're going to land. And so I, I try to say, you know, preachers emphasize the enthusiasm and the anointing of it. Teachers emphasize the content and the impact of it. And so you want to have both. We need more preaching in our teaching, but we also need more teaching in our preaching. It's two sides of the same coin. So I'm very passionate about teaching because it's a natural sweet spot, but I'm also very passionate about it because I think in the world we live, it's more connected, it's uh, mm -hmm. more educated, um, and people can Google what you're saying, uh, your statistics, any quotes, uh, any <laughs> current uh, positions you've got. They can Google that in real time while you're preaching or teaching to them. So I think it's more important than ever before that we emphasize not just the declaration of the word of God, but the explanation of the word of God. And the other thing that I would say on that is so many people, we think everybody grew up like you and I did, um, right. that we may, not, we may not have come from, uh, you know, a Christian home or whatever, but we probably were at least marginally biblically literate. In other words, we knew that there was a group of people called Christians, even if we weren't one, there was a group of people called Christians that thought the Bible was the word of God. We knew about there was a person named Jesus and he died on a cross. That's not always true anymore uh, because the world has come to every city like Sydney, uh, even like little Fredericton. And so you can't assume all those things. Teaching is the solution to that because uh, you're not just yelling Pentecostal cliches at them and expecting a response. You're laying out the word of God and it's got resident power that it will convict, it will transform. And so we need both preaching and teaching. I'm not taking a cheap shot at preaching. I'm just saying we need to combine them both and let the word do the work. Yeah, I personally believe that you do both. You do both very well. 
that when, well, when you are like you're expounding on the word of God, but you're still delivering it with enthusiasm, which is I'm which enthusiastic is awesome. about it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, exactly. but I'm not a crusade guy, Greg, and I've, no. <laughs> I've done crusades. Uh, they asked me to do a crusade in the Philippines one time. Uh, I was there with a team. They were doing a big crusade and they sent Woodward out to do this remote crusade, like this satellite crusade. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with you people? Uh, this is not my, my gifting. Uh, I stayed up in my hotel half the night before listening to Billy Cole, old Billy Cole <laughs> videos on how to, to do the altar call at a crusade. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I just preached something so simple and I went through brother Cole's five steps. I had them written down. I've never done that in my life. I'm quite <laughs> confident in what I study and what I want to say, what I feel God saying. Not that that wasn't my gifting and thank God he was merciful and we had some good things happen, but it's like, what is wrong with you people? You don't get it. You're sending the teacher out to do this. But but I do get excited about teaching the word of God. And mm. and and so, uh, you know, the statement I just made, if you're teaching a home Bible study and tears start to roll down the face of the person across the table, stop flipping the chart, stop moving through the lesson and declare what God's saying in that moment. Uh, it may be a word of comfort for them. It may be a word of encouragement or a challenge that you need to deal with something in your life. So that's a moment of preaching in the middle of teaching. And on the flip side, if, if you're in a service and you've got a bunch of visitors there and the gifts of the spirit operate, the vocal gifts, there's a message in tongues and an interpretation. Every time that happens at CCC, we stop down for 45 seconds and say, what just happened is God spoke to us by the gifts of the spirit. It's in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14. It's in your Bible. Now let's respond to what God just said. And for a person, that's a teaching moment in the middle of preaching uh, because you don't want a new person to sit there and think, what just happened? Somebody got up and yelled in a foreign language and then everybody went crazy. Uh we want a teaching moment there. So again, mm -hmm. to combine the two, and if if I if I have any of that, it would be primarily teaching, but really excited about the Word of God. And so that's sometimes perceived as preaching, I think. And so I'm good with that. Would you mind sharing a few pointers that uh, it would be uh, an issue with uh, some of the fellow preachers that do listen to this podcast, there, there's not heaps. Uh, this is I, I love that this podcast is very broad in the people who do listen to it. But if I had you on here and I didn't ask you this question, I would I would get uh, letters. So, uh, would you mind sharing a, a few pointers that that you would give someone when it comes to uh, study and execution, awesome. uh, when preaching and teaching? I'd love to, um, because again, I'm passionate about it. The the number one discipline, I think. I don't know if he said it originally, but he's the first person I heard say it. Uh, the mega church pastor in Southern California. Uh, I think he's retired now. Uh, Rick Warren. Uh, yeah. I think he transitioned his church. But Rick Warren said one time, and I heard him say, the uh, shortest pencil, the shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. What he meant by that mm -hmm. is if you get a thought, if you get an idea, you got to get it down on paper somewhere. Well, I don't use pencils anymore, except when I'm doing my taxes once a year. But I do use my phone, my iPad, my laptop. And so as I'm studying, and I've got a wide margin Bible, so as I'm doing Bible reading, I can write something down. But more than that, 
if I'm listening to a message, if I'm listening to a podcast, that great uh, hackathon podcast, if I'm listening <laughs> to something like that and I get a thought, if I'm in a service, if I'm doing my Bible reading, if I'm reading a book, um, I'm going to put that in a note. I have a long miscellaneous note every year and I'll start a new one in, uh, when 2024 turns around. Um, and then if I uh, feel prompted to, to go back and flesh something out for a message or a series, I'll pull it out of that big random note that I've been keeping all year and I'll pop it over here and then I'll start adding to it, fleshing it out. But, but my point in all of that is when I go to study, I've got, all kinds of thoughts, inspirations, quotes from books, statistics that I've been collecting all year. Every preacher, even a teacher, a youth group leader, a Sunday school teacher, everybody has dry times when you're like struggling to kind of feel what God's wanting to say. I can go back and I'll just pick one of my yearly notes and I'll just start randomly reading through. I may not end up using anything on it, but all of those things were, were things, thoughts that triggered something in me. There, there was an inspiration. And I find that that kind of uh, primes the pump. There's something that happens just by going back and reading all these different moments of inspiration from the word of God. And, uh, and so that'll kind of get me started. But when I, I do a message, I'll separate it out and I keep adding to it. Um, and so sometimes I've literally been collecting stuff about a subject, maybe for a few years. And then if I feel prompted to, to go do that, the great thing about your generation, that this is not where I started, but in your generation, all this technology, I can just search by a word or a key phrase. And instantly I've got all of that stuff that I've jotted down. And so, so that's my number one thing is that as I'm studying, the difference between reading your Bible and studying your Bible is that you write notes. That's the only difference. And so I try to do that. And, and then when I, I, I go to prepare, uh, go to do a lesson or a sermon or a message, um, I try to do two things with scripture. Number one is I try to take what I call the broad look. Um, it's like the video camera look. I try to pan around in that passage. Um, I, I want to know what's going on in Israel or what's going on in Jerusalem or what's going on in Corinth or what's going on, you know, in this battle, this reign of this king, this prophet's life, because I don't feel like I can adequately set the stage for the message until I've kind of grappled with that. So that takes varying degrees of time, depending on the complexity. Obviously, if you're talking about David and Goliath, everybody pretty much knows that story. Uh, if you're talking about the Christmas story, everybody's pretty much got that. Um, but, but, you know, some of the intricacies of Old Testament, divided kingdom. So I want to know that. That's the broad look. And I make sure that I can lead people into understanding that story, that passage. And then I try to take what I call the deep look. And it's not that it's so deep or profound. What I mean is, if I see a word or a phrase that it occurs over and over in that passage, or it's a word that I don't see anywhere else in, in scripture uh, or anywhere else in the New Testament or anywhere else in the Old Testament. I'll try to drill down on that word or that phrase or that concept. Or if it's just something that, you know what, I don't understand that word or I don't understand that phrase. Uh, I'll go look at different translations. I'll go get a concordance. You know, it's all electronic now. And, and I'll, I'll just drill down on that until I kind of figure it out. 
And that leads to some neat things. Like one time I was reading through the New Testament and I was coming across the word repentance, which is very common to us in the New Testament. Uh, metanoia, uh, you know, it's a, it's a change. It's an about face. Uh, it's turning away from your old life. It's a change of, of inner attitude that leads to an outward change of behavior. Uh, it's, it's uh, you know, belief that affects behavior. All of that, we got that. But I got thinking as I was reading, my goodness, you know, the word repent occurs in the Old Testament. I've never studied repent or repentance in the Old Testament. So I just went back and started drilling down on that word. And oh my goodness, uh, the, the word for repent in the Hebrew is shub. And shub means, it's a warfare word. Um, when uh, a, an army captured a city, they would take the people captive, take them away as slaves. And the very last thing they would do is they would burn that city, burn those people's houses to the ground. So there was nothing for them to come back to and they carry them away in slavery. That's shub. The Old Testament concept of repentance is, it means destroy the house. In other words, repentance is such a turn away from your old life that you've burned it all to the ground. There's nothing to go back to. So that'll wow. preach, that'll teach, that's mm -hmm. amazing. And that all came from just that deep look. In other words, oh, there's a word that, wait a minute, that word's over here. So what does it mean over here? And and I learned so much by doing that. Um, I, I try to uh, read some um, Jewish stuff uh, the, to, to clarify the Old Testament. And especially for young preachers and teachers, we have to be careful there. There's so much mysticism in some branches of Judaism. There's Kabbalah and there's all kinds of stuff. So you have to stay away from the weird stuff. But you, we also have to remember that they were the original oneness believers in the Old Testament. So, you know, sometimes there's some incredible insights there. Um, and, and so that's kind of what I do. I just try to make sure that I personally can grapple with scripture. And finally, just, I would say this, so that when I lead into a message, I very seldom start with this long reading of a text because with attention spans, what they are today from, you know, people, they're on YouTube and they're one minute news clips. And if I read a long text, what I'm doing, I may be thinking I'm honoring scripture, but what I'm really doing is I'm disconnecting those people because they're tuning out. Uh, especially if it's a story that's relatively familiar to some of them, they've really tuned out. And then by the time I let them sit down and we pray, and then we start into the sermon, um, I've lost them. And then what I'm going to do, if I'm a typical preacher, I'm going to read the passage, I'm going to pray, sit down, and then I'm going to tell the passage again in modern English. I'm going to set it up. So what I try to do is I reverse that. I try to do that first. I try to tell the story I try to make people feel like they're in the story, that they could almost know these people. This is what Peter felt like. This is what David was running from. This is uh, how bad Esau hated Jacob or Saul hated David. Or And I try to make them feel the tension of it. And then I'll read a scripture. And, and, and that's not to diminish scripture. It's to honor scripture. By the time I get to that verse or those two verses, it's not going to be a long passage. It's going to be something that punches and connects. That's because I honor scripture. I love scripture. And I want to make people almost taste scripture, that, that they're waiting for what verse is this? 
and and uh, what passage is this? And so that comes from me having a, a big amount of, of, of bandwidth of I've studied the background, studied the passage, studied the words, I've grappled with the meaning of it. I may have read some alternate translations, especially if I'm stuck in the wilderness of the Old Testament prophets where they're all talking all kinds of stuff and it's hard to understand. I'm going to make sure I've grappled with that because I don't want the audience to have to grapple with that. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. they, they're not going to grapple with that, not today. Uh, so I've got to make it clear in me and then I can communicate it to them. And so it all starts way back with, when you get an inspiration, write that thing down. I have uh, encountered in my time in 40 years in ministry, um, Pastor Greg, I have got some of the most profound, amazing, anointed, like messages that would change the the trajectory of the apostolic movement, but they're all gone. I don't remember any of them because I didn't write them down. Oh. And so they're all gone, but, but I'm still trying to figure out if I can write it down, I can remember it because all those big profound thoughts that I got in the middle of the night and thought, you know, when I get up in the morning, I'm going <laughs> to, this is going to be a message and it's gone like the dew. Uh, it, it's, it's terrible. So, so it starts with writing it down and then fleshing it out. And then finally, trying to craft a message so that uh, it starts by hopefully grabbing their attention and it ends by issuing some kind of challenge uh, to respond to the word in some way. That to me is the privilege of teaching the word. That's awesome. What a tremendous answer. And, and if you guys uh, aren't taking notes during this, I encourage you to go back and listen to that again and, and write down some notes uh, from what he just shared there. Uh, I do want to get to this, and I know time's getting away from us a bit, um, but you have, uh, we've referenced it a bit earlier, the YouTube channel that CCC has, and you have a, a very popular series that you did on there. Was was that a Sunday series? The, uh, the yeah, the, the end, it was a Sunday series. It was yep. a Sunday series. And um, the first lesson of that one, you, I think, is it two parts or three parts, that one? That one was three parts, yep. Three parts, right. The, the first one that you shared, or the, the first part of that series, has over a million views on YouTube. Uh, and so uh, whether you think yourself that way or not, you, you become uh, a bit of an authority figure on, on the subject of the end times. I know you probably wouldn't put yourself in that category, but uh, because people have looked to that. And uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the, um, the current circumstances that are taking place right now at, at the time of this recording with what's happening in Israel and then uh, the ramifications that, that you see uh, possibly on end-time prophecy. Mm -hmm. Well, you're, you're absolutely right on one thing. I sure don't consider myself an expert on Bible prophecy. I, in fact, in my 40 years of ministry, experts have come and gone. Date setters have come and gone. And, and, uh, and you know, I'm still here trying to figure it all out. But, um, you know, we live in a very troublesome world. Jesus said, uh, nation shall rise against nation. Literally, in the Greek, ethnos shall rise against ethnos. One ethnicity against another. So we see that in so many nations in the world. You know, right now, uh, we're, we're focused on a war between Russia and Ukraine. And now, most recently, uh, a massive conflict between, uh, you know, Hamas and, and, and Israel and the, the, the whole Gaza Strip. Um, so those things... They are all um, 
what what the the writers of of prophetic scripture would call they are the labor pains of the end times and and i think that's the one thing that i keep coming back to and that that's probably one of the things that connected with that series uh back then we were at a a, a totally different time uh in the world um mm. uh donald trump was president in the u.s he had given permission uh, to move the U.S. Embassy into Jerusalem. That had been decades in coming. Uh, the Israel was very happy about that. Some people in the, in America were very happy about that. Other people were not. But, but, you know, when you see people honoring, uh, Israel or attacking Israel, anything with Israel, it's God's timepiece. And, and so, uh, you know, and, and then, it just connected, but but here's here's kind of where I fall in in prophecy. Uh, the signs of the times are labor pains. As we get closer to the coming of the Lord, and and these are signs. They're identified in the Word of God: wars and rumors of wars, uh, famines and pestilence, earthquakes in different places. Uh, recently, you know, Afghanistan has just been devastated uh, by more than one earthquake, and and so we've always had earthquakes, we've always had wars. But if you graph all of these things on charts, and I've got some of the charts, shared them in that series, um, they go along and they rise, but then. Over the last, you know, since Israel became a nation, basically, they just go off the chart. And uh, that's whether you're talking about famine, uh, disease. I mean, since uh, that series, we've had a worldwide pandemic that shut down nations and travel and businesses and, and, and people's lives. So all of these signs, the, the signs of the times, they become like labor pains. They become more and more intense and they become closer and closer together. You see more of them. And so it's exactly like a natural birth. And so we are headed uh, definitely for the end of all things. I'm not a date setter, uh, and, and I'm intentionally not a date setter. I try to be aware of things, and if it deals with Israel, often I will mention it. We prayed for Israel at Bible study the other night. But, but the way I presented that to our folks is, there are people that need God on both sides of this conflict, not just people in Israel, people in uh, among the Palestinians. There are people that need God. And so no matter what their religious perspective, some religions are so dark, uh, no matter what their religion has done to their culture, those people are the victims. They need God. So, so to keep focused on that. But, but here's what I would say, and I, I've shared this at different points to our church. The point of prophecy in the scripture is not speculation. Let's all figure out a, a timeline and let's figure out what's coming and what this is represents this. The purpose of prophecy is not speculation. It is motivation. When we see these things begin to come to pass, we're supposed to look up, lift up our heads. Our redemption draws nigh. So the purpose of all these things happening for the child of God is I need to stay focused on our mission. We need to be reaching the lost. We need to be doing everything we can to advance the kingdom of God. And we need to personally be ready. So prophecy is not for us to create a calendar. This happens next and that happens after this. It's for us to create character in ourselves. I am genuinely committed to God. I'm living for God. Uh, it's, it's not, 
you know, some people say, you know, I've got figured out who the Antichrist is and this and that. Um, I, I, just, I just go back to what Scripture says. John said it, I believe. Uh, the spirit of the Antichrist is already here. Paul said the mystery of iniquity does already work. So I know there will be an individual coming that Scripture refers to as the Antichrist. What I'm much more concerned about is that the spirit that will enable that person, that leader to come to power, that spirit is already working in our culture. That's why we see all of the the the, the upside down morality and we've got attacks on the foundations of of humanity, of culture, mm -hmm. uh, marriage and family and gender and all kinds of things. That's because the spirit of Antichrist, this, this wave of iniquity, the mystery of iniquity is already at work. So, so what we've got to do is remember that, um, prophecy is supposed to motivate us. And so, you know, I've got some opinions. Uh, if you've got three apostolics in a room, there's at least four or five opinions in that room. So, and especially on prophecy. So, you know, I, I'm not going to wade in. I, I've always taught for, for, for 40 years since I taught at the Bible school. Um, I've always taught that if you understand the different opinions or the different viewpoints, then you're more equipped to figure out kind of what you believe. And, and, mm -hmm. and so I don't mind reading other people's viewpoints or studying other people's viewpoints because I'm not going to get stressed out because I don't have the calendar figured out. It's not about calendar. It's about you know, my character and my relationship with God in the end times. It's not about speculation. Uh, go ahead and speculate all you want. But at the end of the day, if your study of prophecy doesn't motivate you to be more involved in your church and in the kingdom of God, uh, then you're, you're messed up because you've made prophecy a fixation instead of a motivation. Yep. That's so good. And uh, this kind of leads into uh, this next question. Uh, you talked about how you've been part of the Apostolic Church for a number of years, uh, as well as your family in general, going mm -hmm. all the way back to the 1920s. Um, what excites you about the Apostolic Church in 2023? You've traveled all over uh, Canada, America, the world. Um, what is it that excites you about the church? Um, how young it's getting. Um I, I've made the remark multiple times, just even this year, uh, in in going to camp meetings, which are not a youth event, going to district conferences in America and Canada, which are not a youth event, uh, coming to Australia, most recently for Turning Point uh, at the Pentecostals of Sydney. Um, all of those events are youth events, even though they're not youth events. And that encourages me. I'm seeing younger and younger leaders uh in, in roles, in key responsibilities in the church. But even beyond that, as we watch uh, worship services, as we watch altar services, the, the, the great uh, swell of response is from those that are younger. And so we value our elders and we honor them, but I'm so glad it's not just them leading the way. And I really think, uh, and I've said it multiple times this year, and I'll continue to say it. I really feel that right now God is setting in place the young apostles and the young prophets and the young evangelists and the young pastors and the young teachers that um, he's putting in for the very last moments 
of, of the end of the end times, the last of the last days, the last great harvest, the last great move of his spirit on this earth. And that's very encouraging to me. Your generation and down, um, not my generation and up. And that's really encouraging to me. Um, uh, one of the things that I've tried to do in my life, uh, Pastor Greg, is make room for others. Uh, I, I felt like that was my responsibility here with Pastor Jack and the church. And I really felt like God spoke to me years ago and said, if you'll make room for others, I'll make room for you. And I've proved that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not I'm not sitting around wondering if there's anything I can do. Uh, I'm probably trying to actually, to be truthful, I'm trying to fend off a few things just because uh, uh, the 61 year old doesn't uh, do jet lag as well as the 36 year old used to. And uh, but but in reality, like I'm so excited and it's privileged to be involved. But that's the most exciting thing to me. Mm. Um, and then I think we're doing balance better than we have before. Uh, you know, we've talked about teaching and preaching in this podcast because of your guest. Um, but that balance is better than I've ever seen it in our movement. There is no stigma, as you said, there's no stigma about teaching anymore. Um, the other thing is there's no stigma anymore about apostles or prophets or whatever, those terms in, I'm talking about the mainstream. There's still people with issues. Mm -hmm. There will always be people with issues, but, but the mainstream of the apostolic movement, we're starting to see biblical terminology, biblical ministry, biblical roles, uh, be recognized and honored and utilized better than ever before. So all of that is very encouraging to me. I'd like to ask this question to everyone who comes on the podcast what drives you, Brother Woodward, when it comes to ministry? What is it that is that driving force for you? Well, you can give the big answers, um, reaching the lost, equipping the saints, uh, growing the kingdom. Those are the big macro answers. But I really think that for every person, every leader, every believer, every minister, um, it has to come down for you to the micro answer. And so my micro answer is different than the, the focus of a God gifted, God called, God anointed evangelist that does crusades. And I've, I'm pastor to a couple of those people. And, and what they do is amazing to me. I'm so grateful for their ministry. They walk into a country, they organize crusades, uh, thousands receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's not my gifting. So, so if, if what drives me is we're reaching the lost, but mm. personally, uh, it's teaching the word. Uh, I, I've, I've basically done, uh, the same things since I became a minister, uh, teaching, mentoring younger leaders, uh, missions and team ministry. Those four things are really still my focus. And that's my sweet spot. So that's my little push for the kingdom of God. Uh, I'm not going to sit around and begrudge that someone else is this gifted evangelist. And they're reporting that thousands received the Holy Ghost last, last week in their ministry under their leadership with through their gifting. I'm going to rejoice in that because for a couple of those people, 
um, when uh, there's there's issues or difficulties or they need somebody to go to bat for them because those people are big targets for the enemy and they get a lot of unjustified criticism. Uh, I'm going to be the guy behind the scenes and I'm going to be mentoring and I'm going to be, you know, using the word of God. Here's how we're going to deal with this. And, and, and that is my micro answer. I'm part of this body, this, this church that we're doing this together. And so I thank God for the great evangelists. I thank God for apostolic voices. My little sweet spot is as a teacher to kind of try to help equip saints and other leaders with the word. Uh, before we connected for this conversation, uh, it's evening where I am. And uh, already today, I've, I've emailed, you know, teaching resources to, I can't even remember how many people, three or four in different countries of the world and rejoice to do it because that's my little micro answer to your question. The big answer is there's a lost world to save and there's a church that needs to be equipped by all of these ministries. And so that drives me, the fivefold ministry, the great commission, that's what drives me. Yeah, and I think you preached a message I don't know if it was earlier this year, but uh, is entitled was it one? Uh, oh yeah, was one that life. Oh man, that oh it blew me apart. That shook me to my core. Yeah, yeah, that was and to hear and I know um, you're just crossing that category, but to hear an elder such as yourself who's done so much for the kingdom of God still have that passion. It just as a young leader like myself, it's so such a blessing, you know, and and obviously inspired by by that, but also. Um, inspired to do my bit, you know, to reach someone. And, and I encourage anyone who has not heard that sermon to to make sure that they do. Um, we we have been so grateful for your time here tonight. You, you generously said it was evening; it's way past evening. But you've uh, set aside so much of your time to be with us here, and we're so grateful for it. Love you, Brother Woodward, and and your passion, um, your passion for the church. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, you've given us so much here tonight, but if you wouldn't mind leaving us with with a final word, whatever you feel to share uh, to the podcast, thank you again for your time. Thank you for uh, having me on the podcast, Pastor Greg. I really uh, admire you and your passion for the kingdom of God, and I admire your service uh, to your pastor and your church, and I'm so grateful for you. I, I would say to all of our listeners, and we've already touched on some of this, um, make sure that in the busyness of life and in the busyness of your ministry, whatever you're doing for the kingdom of God, uh, remember that this is not um, just a task we're called to. This is a relationship with God we are called to. And the reason God has laid his hand on you and you have these passions in your heart and you want your one and only life to matter and you want the kingdom of God to be pushed forward. And you want more than anything that when you stand uh, before the Lord on that final day, you want him to say, well done, uh, good and faithful servant. Um, that, that drives us. So make sure that you're carving out your personal relationship with Jesus, because it is that relationship on that day that is most important. We can't lead people where we've never gone. And we can't share with people what we don't have. So as a young leader, I would really encourage you, if there was anything I wish I could go back and do different, it would be to carve out that wonderful 
private, personal time with God and not have to play catch up years later, because we may not have years later for those of you that are listening, that you're in the younger generation. Jesus is going to return and his coming will interrupt the plans and the life and the ministries of millions of his servants. It's going to happen in some generation and it very well may be yours. And uh, I'd, I'd like to just say a word of prayer over everybody. It's been such an honor just to address all of you tonight. And uh, I thank God for your passion for the work of God and, and that you're listening tonight. Let's pray for a moment. Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful every time for the opportunity to speak to um, precious believers and capable leaders and anointed servants in your kingdom. Thank you for each one of them. Thank you for their giftings that you have put in them. Thank you for the passions that you created in them. Thank you for the talents and all of the, the, the various things that they bring to the table. Jesus, we present all of that to you. It is not about us. It is not about our name, our reputation, or our ministry. It is about your kingdom. It is about your world that we are trying to reach. And God, it's about serving you and glorifying your name. I pray that you would place a blessing on each person that's listening. Uh, let them feel a, a tangible sense of your spirit. Order their steps in your word, I pray. And we'll give you all the glory for it. Because we ask it in the greatest and most wonderful name we know. In the name of Jesus. Amen.